Welcome to the Doing Epic Stuff podcast with your host, Mike Drohan. Together, we'll explore the stories and journeys of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Because I'm ultimately seduced by ideas. And I don't think about, well, if I did this, I could make X. It was more like, I love doing this. How can I make a living? <laughs> you know? Jeff Madoff is the author of Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, a book born from a course he taught at Parsons School of Design, a private art and design college located in Lower Manhattan, New York. During these legendary lectures, Jeff would interview an accomplished individual on their ideas about success. Think turning up to university or college to have best-selling author and my personal favorite podcast host, Tim Ferriss, supermodel Carly Kloss, or chief marketing officer for eBay, Raquel Parham, seated at the front of the class, ready to provide candid insight to their professional pathways. Epic. So how does one get Ralph Lauren, head of the legendary fashion empire of the same name, on their personal contacts list? What can we learn from a man who has successfully navigated fashion, advertising, production, and even playwriting, whilst championing a passion-first mindset? How did a seemingly ordinary kid from Wisconsin take on and topple the biggest of apples, otherwise known as New York? Jeff Madoff, thank you for joining me today on the Doing Epic Stuff podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Thank you very much, Mike, uh, for having me on. And I appreciate your assumption that it will be a pleasure. So thank you. <laughs> I've got to aim high. And if it goes low, well, that's okay. But it's better to start high in life, I find. <laughs> yes. We can always dig the hole later. That's That's true. absolutely <laughs> it. Absolutely it. And I, I have the powers of editing. So if it goes totally balls up, no one will ever really know because I'll just delete that <laughs> section. No problem. Uh, we were just saying before, Jeff, that, that you were introduced to myself through Lisa Tamady, uh, the ultra marathon runner slash entrepreneur slash doing more stuff than she should be superhuman. Uh, yes. How did you how did your podcasting with her go? It was great. I mean, Lisa, as you know, is terrific, you know, and uh, I think one of the things that makes a great host is curiosity. And when you're curious, then you're present because you actually care about what the other person has to say or what their answers are going to be. And, you know, I think that the best podcasts uh, and the best interviews are essentially conversations. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to agree. And she's very good at making people feel comfortable, Lise. And a curiosity, she probably... Of all the people I've met in the last sort of six to eight months, I think she's probably the, one of the most curious. She has like a real natural and inherent thirst to learn more, which has obviously served her very well. <laughs> yeah, I, I think she's uh, wonderful. I met her through a good friend of mine, Joe Polish, and uh, he you know, sent me a video message saying, I just met Lisa Tomedy. You got to meet her. You got to meet her. Here's her email address. Uh, and he copied her on it, get in touch with each other. Mm. And uh, Joe has been a dear friend for like 26 years. And if he suggests that I meet somebody, I'm really happy to meet them because it's never been somebody I was sorry I met. Mm. Uh, maybe once or twice. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> We're going to talk about that once. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, she is uh, wonderful. And she makes me feel comfortable by the mere fact that I don't do what she does, which is ultra marathons. Yeah, you, know? you, and, you and me both, Jeff, you and me both. I think <laughs> there's, a, there's a special place in crazy for people who put their bodies through that once. <clears throat> and for someone who's done it over 140 times, that's, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that other than I have no interest in doing that to myself. So <laughs> that's why they have cars and trains. And <laughs> yeah, that's, it. that's why we created transport. <laughs> that's Absolutely. correct. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, I'd like to go through a couple of different things. I'd like to probably start with your background a little bit first, because uh, you okay. have a very interesting, uh, quite a diverse career. Uh, when I read through the playlist, I'm like, goodness me, they had to put it in a paragraph. It doesn't fit in a sentence. 
But we'll start there. I'd also then like to jump across in a little bit to discuss your book, Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, which I have managed to get a copy of, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But I had actually planned just to skim through that particular book and found myself totally engrossed in it and already telling people that they should read it. So I think you're onto a winner there. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about that more specifically in a moment. But if we could uh, maybe perhaps start with your own entrepreneurial journey, uh, which is kind of traversed, you've traversed fashion, advertising, film, the performing arts and education, which, you know, any one of those is probably you could exp you could spend a lifetime exploring any one of those, but you've managed to traverse multiple ones uh, successfully. So could you tell us a little bit about what has driven you to do that, to keep exploring these different ways to execute on your on your creative abilities and ideals? Well, that's a way to frame it in a positive way. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur because uh, I'm unemployable. So I think that <laughs> that is uh, what took me down the entrepreneurial path. Uh, my parents were both entrepreneurs. They started and owned their own business. So I grew up in a household where my mom and dad were talking about business decisions all the time. And that, you know, they consulted with each other about what they should do and the kinds of whether they were trying to grow their retail business uh, or other investments. You know, they were both very entrepreneurial. And my sister, Janice, has her own store and she's an entrepreneur. So it was kind of natural to me not to be thinking, oh, what kind of job would I like to get? But rather, what did I want to do? And I had the typical jobs as a kid growing up when I was growing up, uh, which was, you know, I mowed lawns and uh, shoveled snow in the winter and delivered newspapers, which I think is something that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but I was a paper boy. Uh, and I did door to door sales. And so I always did stuff, uh, always had jobs. So when it was a snow day, uh, that was a day for me to go make five bucks a driveway. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back then, uh, you know, I could come home with $50 in my pocket, which was pretty damn good, you know, and especially when you're like 12 years old, that was really good. So Serious I've always coin. had that entrepreneurial, pardon? Serious coin, 50 bucks for a 12 year old is not bad. Yeah. And, and, you know, back then that was equivalent of like making 500 a day, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, in today's money. So, you know, it was, uh, I've always had that entrepreneurial drive, but I think it's because I, that behavior was modeled by my parents. And so it was never, you know, career path kind of thing for me. Mm, interesting. So it was really, yeah, you kind of were just doing things that you perceived opportunities and were ha happy enough just to act upon them as you saw them sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had, when I was a little kid, I had a movie theater in my basement and, uh, what I did is rent these films and then I would take my sister's stereo and my tape recorder <laughs> reel to reel. And I would create soundtracks because the films were silent. So I would do music and sound effects and I designed the posters and put them up around the neighborhood. And so every Saturday I would get like 15, 20 kids from the neighborhood and they'd pay 25 cents each and uh, they would watch movies, you know, I'd have like a triple feature and uh, <laughs> sold candy. And, you know, it, and the funny thing is some 20 years later, as I'm in the world of video at that point in film, I was doing soundtracks and sound mixing and all this stuff. And I realized, and I think this is an important thing for aspiring entrepreneurs. God, I loved doing this when I was a kid and mm -hmm. I love doing it now. So what are the things that you love to do? And then trying to figure out how can I make a living doing it? Because I'm ultimately seduced by ideas. And I don't think about 
well, if I did this, I could make X. It was more like, I love doing this. How can I make a living? <laughs> you know, uh, kind of a retrofit as opposed to thinking of something that had a established career path to it because I never took that path. Mm. Uh, and so it was always just interesting to me that if it was something that I found fascinating and wanted to explore, I would go for it. And the challenge was figuring out, well, how do I make a living doing this? And fortunately, I've been able to do that. Well, you know, I grew up before video games. So you went outside to play. And so we would play, you know, cowboys uh, or we would play soldier or we'd do sports. You know, we'd play baseball or kickball or whatever. Uh, everybody fully engaged. But when we were playing cowboys, there was a storyline to it you know, and we would improvise that stuff. And, uh, you know, it was, it was fun. And I'm all for education. I think education, though, is something that you take, you don't get it, you don't go to college to get an education, you take an education. And that means that you apply yourself. If you look at the history of colleges and universities, it's the initial fundings for those came from large uh, industrialists. It was about creating uh, employees that knew how to do the skills necessary to keep that industrial engine growing in the United States. And, you know, I'm, my degree, I got, you know, I thought, what are the two most useless degrees I could possibly get in terms of making me completely unhirable? Oh, philosophy and psychology. So, you know, when I graduated from school, uh, I was thrilled that those were the courses that I took because it opened me up to ways of thinking I never had before, to ideas that I never thought about before in ethics and morality, in how we think and how we process information and all of these things. And, you know, I've talked to, I have, my kids have graduated from college, but in talking to some of the parents, they would say, well, what's the ROI on that? And I'm thinking ROI on what? Their college education? Well, college is expensive. And yes, it is expensive. Mm. Uh, but I think that there's a real value in it because I think that, it, I think it's important to be lifelong learner and curious and present. And I think all those things are, are really important. And I think that if you, are looking for some recipe for success, you first have to define what success means for you. And I think that's as important as also, what is it, you know, what does it mean? You know, what did I like doing when I was a kid, which I do think is really important. What brings you joy? And, uh, and then what is success? You know, you could make a lot of money, but would you be successful if you hated what you were doing every day you had to do it to make that money? following a path that you that you're going to really find not just financially remunerative but also personally remunerative is understanding what you what success looks like where where you're trying to get to and i guess if you if success for you means something other than just making money then yeah really kind of getting familiar with what that means is it is it spending more time with people is it being able to create on a daily basis i think defining that is is really powerful did you actively sit down and try and work out those things jeff or were they always just pretty clear to you as you went through your journey that that design was clearly interesting to you storytelling was clearly part of your calling i mean that's a good question uh a lot of it was you know accidents yeah things that just happened serendipitously that took me in a direction because I thought, wow, this is interesting. Yeah, I want to explore that. You know, so when I was doing the fashion design and that started as a lark, you know, I didn't, I never had any ambition to become a designer. Uh, then when the opportunity presented itself in the form of a phone call from a friend who had graduated from college a year before I did, and he said, I saved up some money. Can you think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest? And I was working uh, in a boutique, clothing boutique, and I did the buying for the boutique. 
and I saw what sold and I could always draw. And my parents were always, you know, very much encouraged my writing, my drawing, anything that they saw me engaged with and like doing, they were good with it. And they would bring me uh, from their store, big sheets of craft paper that I could draw on. Now it's encouraged me. And it was never, you know, get a profession. That was never the drill. It was, you know, it's your life. Mm. Find what you want to do. And um, so it was, it was interesting. Things happened. And I think when you are curious, your antenna is up. Yep. And when your antenna is up, you're getting all kinds of different signals. And some of those signals make sense to you and you want to explore. And, uh, you know, other things just don't happen to interest you. So I was always, um, I, I did not have a conscious process at that time. Looking back, I can say, you know, that this led to that and this led to that. But I think we all try to construct a narrative about our lives that makes sense. Hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean that that narrative is accurate. <laughs> it just means that, you know, we're compelled as humans to have a sense of order and have a sense of logic and have things make sense. And sometimes to use the psychological term, shit happens. <laughs> and, you know, your life goes in a particular direction and these opportunities come up there and there and there. And some of those opportunities are things that you end up being seduced by and want to follow. How, how has your relationship with risk changed over the years, Jeff? Well, how can I answer that? Uh, you know, risk is, first of all, a perception, right? You know, when we're talking about things having to do with ideas, I mean, you know, we, we were talking about Lisa before. Do I want to try to run 100 miles and swim 10? And uh-uh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to do that. Uh, and so taking certain physical risks, you know, that I want to bungee jump off a 500 foot bridge. No, you know, uh, even when I was in Japan, there's a, a fish that's considered a delicacy. there, a blowfish. If it's cooked wrong, it could kill you. Mm -hmm. And we were at this very expensive Japanese restaurant. A client took me to, and they said, would you like to try the blowfish? I said, no. <laughs> and uh, and they said well, you know well it's considered a delicacy and you know yes it has to be prepared perfectly but there's little chance that it won't be at this restaurant and i said you know it's not worth it to me i, I don't it's not like i had a great oh man i'd love some blowfish you know that just wasn't <laughs> that wasn't going on so that was a risk that wasn't worth taking now mm. leaving a particular job path and going to something else which some people perceive as a big risk. Mm. I didn't. And I think I've been fortunate enough that I've been able to make it through these different things without any fatal mistakes. Uh, and so it's all how you assess risk, which is different for everybody. And I look at it like on a one to 10, if one is essentially no effect at all, and 10 is life-changing, devastating results. Most of the things we decide on are like twos and threes, but we look at them as eights or nines, yep. you know, because we're so stuck in, in the minute. And uh, I always found it, and this may sound strange, like when I decided to move to New York from Wisconsin, where I started my first business, I knew that my financial backer was not going to continue to back me if I moved to New York, which meant I had to close the business. That local, was a big Local deal. businessman, financial backer, Jeff? Yes, he had, uh, he owned five banks. Hmm. I employed 120 people who all bank in his banks. And he had made it clear from the beginning that one of the attractions to my business, he found me kind of novel. Uh, and one of the attractions for him to back it was that we would run the business through his banks and I was building a pretty good business. And the employees, I provided employment for Wisconsinites and they all banked at his bank. Uh, and so when I wanted to move to New York, you know, he reminded me he would not continue backing me. And, uh, and he had said that before. So it's not like, what? You know, he had said it before. And he was a very good man. Hmm. Uh, and so friends of mine said, you're going to move to New York? I said, yeah. 
Does he have a job lined up? No. Do you have a place to live lined up? No. Do you know anybody there? No. I have a cousin, but no. <laughs> uh, I said, well, aren't you afraid of what's going to happen if you move? And I said, you know, actually, I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I don't move. Mm. <laughs> you know, I wanted that exploration. I wanted that journey. I wanted to try those things. So it didn't scare me. And I'm still, all these years later, still doing that, like with the play that, I've, that I'm doing, you know, which is financially very risky, creatively very risky, uh, and it takes a tremendous amount of time to do it. But I am seduced by story. I believe that this uses the talents that I think I have in the most complete way yet. Mm. And so that was a huge magnet for me to, you know, to want to do it. So I didn't consider it a risk to do that. I considered it a risk not to do that. And I think if anything, as I've gotten older, um, I don't want to ever have the regret, man, I wish I would have tried that. Mm -hmm. I want to try it. Jeff, can you just do me a favor? If you, if you ever write your autobiography, can you please call it Seduced by Story? Because that is <laughs> the best name ever. <laughs> Thank you. But it's true. I mean, mm. it's really, it's really true. And I think, you know, that I think that came from my grandfather. Mm. You know, uh, he died when I was seven years old. But his memory is so vivid to me. And he would come over my parents would say his name was Sam, Sam, we want to uh, go out tonight. Do you think you could come over and babysit? By the time they hung up the phone, his DeSoto was pulling into the driveway. And we were extremely close. And he always told me stories. And so I was aware of the power of story. I wouldn't have phrased it like that. But how much story impacted me. That when I was a little kid, I was writing stories and I was doing cartoon strips that would be passed around the school that had <laughs> continuing stories. And story has always been something seductive to me, which is why I'm an avid reader, which is why I love movies, why I love plays, you know, because there's story and those narratives are what's interesting to me because they're things that we learn from uh, and they are things that resonate in the best of them emotionally. And, uh, and I've always just had a strong affinity for that. And I couldn't think of anything worse that as you get older, you're not accumulating stories, mm. you know, and hopefully that's the, that's a part of the wealth that I am accruing over the span of my life is these stories. Cause I've done a lot of stuff. That's pretty cool. And that <laughs> I enjoy, you know, and, and I, and that's fun for me. Mm. And you still obviously get a thrill from it, which I love. And, and that, that has been, I guess, the one uh, part of the impetus for you to then go on and create this book, Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, which is full of uh, interesting stories from thought leaders, uh, from people like Tim Ferriss, who I've been a, a long-term listener of his podcast. It's one of the, the few podcasts that I've just continually go back to. And anytime I turn it on, I walk away with a handful of, of insights from th that I find valuable to my life, like every time, no matter who he has on the show. So there's just so much good content in this book that you've written. I, I was excited to have you on the podcast and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll track down a copy of the book because obviously it would be good to be able to understand what's in there and to talk about it. I quickly realized that the, the ebook version of your book was only able to be bought in America. So only you can only buy the, the hard copy version in Australia. I can't jump onto Amazon and buy your ebook. It's, it's country restricted for whatever oh. reason. Did, were you aware I of didn't that, even Jeff? Know. No, I was not. So that's annoying. So for the people out there who were going to buy it online or who decide to buy it online, there is a way. Now, I'm not saying you should necessarily do this, but I've, I've heard from a friend of a friend that you could use your VPN to change your country to America and purchase it as an American. That's just what I'm told. Anyway, 
just just keep that in your little pocket australian listeners worth the adventure definitely worth the adventure so i managed to get a copy of your book and the plan was to skim it to have a couple of key ideas to discuss with jeff since he's coming on to the podcast i could i cannot put the thing down it is so oh, wow. full Great. of Thank insight you. uh and stories and not just that i think Jeff, you've written it in a way, and this this must be because of your experience having been a lecturer, I, I think. You've actually been an educator. It's more of a, a guide and a, a working textbook than just a book full of stories. So you can navigate through it and actually actively learn uh, the concepts that Jeff is discussing here with thought leaders, which I thought is, is super, super powerful. Was, was that your kind of thinking on how you structured it, Jeff, to kind of be, as opposed to just a book, it's really almost like an, an, ed, an education tool in a way? Well, what I wanted to do, and by the way, uh, just as a sidebar here, uh, I just did Tim Ferriss's podcast. So oh, cool. You will have a chance to uh, hear that and uh, and let them know how it was. Man, this is the best interview Tim's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Who are those other hacks? <laughs> I'm really glad I didn't listen to that before having you on my show, Jeff. I'm really it's not glad. up yet. I actually yeah, just, I just did it this past Wednesday, as a matter of fact. Ah, uh, excellent, excellent. Okay. So uh, and it was fun. It was, it was fun. Tim does a great job. Yeah, he's uh, a smart dude. But um, I'm sorry, I, I, with that digression, I lost. No, not at all. Me. So I guess my, my question was in terms of how you've created the book as being more than mm -hmm. just a collection of stories, but it's almost it 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 reads like a course. It's almost a mini course, I would I'd say, in a way, in the way you've structured it and the active work that the audience is asked to do as part of the, the book. I guess what was the thinking behind structuring it that way? So the thing, the the reasoning behind structuring the book as active and interactive, as opposed to just a read, which you've done very uh, well, very well. well. Thank, thank you, and thanks for the kind words about it. But I wanted to try to replicate what makes the course popular, and what makes the course popular is uh, a few things. One is, uh, and I'm very proud of this, is that the guests that come in, and I get wonderful people in the class uh, who are willing to share their knowledge and their insights uh, in a very honest way. Can I, can I interrupt you there, Jeff? Sure. Could you just explain for the, for the audience what the course is that you're referring to, please? Sure. Uh, I teach a course at Parsons School for Design in New York City called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, the same title as the book has. And each week I bring in somebody, it could be an entertainer, it could be a singer, it could be a scientist, a journalist, uh, a huge range of people. The unifying thread throughout is these are people that make a living with their ideas. Hmm. And we talk about the challenges they've had, how do they come to do what they're doing? How do they overcome those obstacles? Were there key pivot points in their life? things like that. And I uh, am fortunate that I'm able to, first of all, you get good people through other good people. Sure. You know, it's like Lisa introducing us. Absolutely. You know, the fact that she introduced you to me and me to you, we both already had trust in her. So we're willing to make that leap. I'm sure you were hoping, God, I hope he's not a stiff, you know, and uh, <laughs> Uh, what she introduced me to this guy for, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, so you do find good people through other good people. And over the years, I've been teaching this class for 14 years. I've had some wonderful people who were very generous of spirit and willing to, to share their ideas. And I kept getting told by uh, people, why don't you write a book? And now I record all my classes. And as a matter of fact, I will be starting a podcast you know, which will have Good. those recordings from my class. Mm. And so I thought, well, I am doing the work already. And I so strongly believe in the importance of sharing ideas and getting discussion going and critical thinking and understanding context and asking yourself the questions that you need to reflect upon so you can make intelligent decisions or discover in yourself 
what works for you and what doesn't. So just like there's discussion in the class at the end of each chapter, uh, there will be, each chapter does have, you know, segments from my guests that folds into my narrative so that it might be about entrepreneurship. It might be about imposter syndrome. It might be about when do you seek capitalization, uh, all these kinds of things. And uh, I wanted to share that with a wider audience, but at the end of each of those chapters, I also wanted to ask the reader questions. And one of the most gratifying things, Mike, that I found out, because I didn't know this and I didn't know how it was going to work, <laughs> was I was getting emails from people saying they started to write notes in the margin and found that there wasn't enough room for that. You know, <laughs> and that they started filling a journal. And by the time they finished the book, they had these chapters that they had written in reviewing and then going back to the book again and seeing how their thoughts and ideas matched up now that they had finished it. And I thought, well, that's really great. It's actually fostering discussion and people are using that as a tool. So you're, you're right. It is, I hope, something that's educational. But I think in order to educate, you have to entertain. Sure. And you have to be, which I hope I am, you know, seductive through the stories so that you want to read them and how it's all put together because you can have great information and bore the shit out of people. <laughs> so, you know, the question is, how do you get these things across in a way that's compelling that people want to keep reading and they engage so that they even want to answer the questions because that can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why I wrote it the way I wrote it. And you, your insight is correct. It is, I hope, reflective of the course in, in a sense that you get engaged with it. You ask yourself questions about it. Mm -hmm. You see whose opinions, because not everybody in the book agrees with everything. And I happen to not believe in books that are recipes for success, because I call that the myth of replication, because you are never going to replicate what the millionaire next door does, or the highly effective habits of highly effective people, because you're not them, your circumstances are different. So you've got to search and explore and ask yourself the questions. And uh, I think that there's no magic answer. Uh, did you did you read the parable at the end about seeking the master who had the secret of the no, truth? No, no, not yet. Uh, well, suffice to say that, and this is true for all entrepreneurs, you have to do the work and it's not easy. Mm. You know, starting a business isn't hard. Building it is harder. Sustaining it is harder still. And it takes a lot of work and there are no magic shortcuts. You've got to do the work. And I know entrepreneurs who have small businesses, but they have done well. And the person loves what they're doing and they're happy with that. And I work with people like Ralph Lauren, who's a billionaire, you know, and the uh, unifying thread in all of that is, is their compelling need to express themselves through their business and what they do. And they all work really hard. Hmm. And there's no shortcut for the hard work. Yeah, they, they, there is almost an obsession there, isn't there? This drive to to keep, um, yeah, they've decided that they have a, a, whether it's a goal or whatever it is, but those the things that those people share in common is the fact that they are living the, the pursuit of that thing day in, day out, at night, thinking about it, pursuing it, which I guess begs the question, how do we, how do we kind of get that balance between the drive that we need or the persistence that we need to become successful entrepreneurs and the, I guess the persistence or, or the idea that we're onto something big versus running the risk of being delusional and just flogging a dead horse to the point where we're like, wow, I've put a thousand hours into this thing, 10,000 hours now, and I'm not seeing any ROI. Are you, do you see any sort of ROI in the sense of like, it's not giving me back what I'm giving it. From all the people you've spoken with, Jeff, and, and engaged with, have you, is there a kind of a, are there any kind of indicators you could, you could talk about, which you think kind of help us to decide whether something is on the borderline of delusional, or if we just need to keep pushing harder on an idea that we have? 
You know, it's a great question. And I think that, you know, there was a number of years back in the uh, 90s and early two, you know, 2000s where people thought Bezos was delusional. Yeah. You know, yeah. where they thought Steve Jobs was delusional. Uh, that, you know, they probably thought that Elon Musk was delusional. Now, by the way, what they share in common is a drive that is beyond ambition to complete obsession. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and you don't build multi-billion dollar global businesses casually. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it doesn't just happen. Mm. These guys are, you know, uh, obsessed with what they're doing. And I think that, uh, you know, I think that that obsession compels them to, it's never big enough. It's never has wide enough reach, you know, that sort of thing. But those people, by the way, represent a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the population. Mm -hmm. What we're talking 1% are... of 1% that, that need to go that hard. That's right. That's right. And, and uh, you know, whether or not it's delusional, you only kind of know after the fact, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, there are people that pursue their careers gaining no traction, whether they be actors or painters or whatever. And then, you know, I know people that they were about to give up and then that thing happened. And that thing could have been, they made a sale of a painting, their book finally sold, they got cast in a movie, you know, whatever it is. But there is a time and it's very legitimate where you have to also, if you've, you're in this for a while and it's not working, hmm. you know, the definition of insanity is thinking you can keep doing the same thing and have a different outcome. So if you're banging your head against a wall, you better find out why that wall's not giving, <laughs> you know, because your head's going to crack before the wall does. So you have to figure out, well, what am I doing wrong? You have to question yourself. And the hope is that you also have people you can talk to, be they mentors or friends who actually know something, because friends that don't know anything aren't really a big help in terms of figuring things out. Hmm. Uh, because maybe the ideas sound, but the way you're going about it is wrong. Uh, yeah. And, you know, one of the important things for all entrepreneurs, I believe, is from the get-go, you have to understand that you cannot be the only one in love with your business idea. Mm -hmm. So you have to put it out there and establish proof of concept. Are there people that are actually interested in X? Yep. you know, whatever that X is. Validation so is as soon as you can get to a point where you've got something to validate. It's so right. risky. It's so, it's, it's so tempting to just not expose your ideas, isn't it? That, that's the comfort zone that we can, we can fall into. And it can get to a point where you go, you decide that it's never quite ready enough to get exposed to the outside world. And, and therein lies the trap really, doesn't it? Because without yes. validation, it, you have nothing. Well, that's right. So for instance, when I was designing clothes, uh, when I started off, you know, I was working at boutique and uh, we had sewers that did alterations for the clothing. And as I mentioned, I could always draw. So it had some, I had some of the things sketched. Uh, I sketched, I'm sorry. I sketched some of the designs. Then I had some of the sewers uh, sew up the shirts. And so I had a dozen shirts, hung them in the store, sold out in, in less than a day, hmm. uh, put together two dozen other designs. They all sold out immediately. <laughs> so I had that proof of concept that there were people other than me that liked this stuff. Hmm. And a lot of times the way businesses start is, you know, you're kind of scratching your own itch. And uh, what that means is that, it's something you always like, but you could never find. Like Ralph Lauren couldn't find the kind of clothes he saw in movies, but he wanted to dress like Gary Cooper or Cary Grant and that stuff wasn't available. <laughs> and he figured rightly so, well, if somebody else, if I really like it this much, somebody else must like it too. There's mm -hmm. gotta be other people out there. But establishing that proof of concept is 
huge because then you actually know if you have an idea worth pursuing because if you can't drum up any interest in it, it's either that the idea isn't any good or the way you're executing isn't any good. Neither of those things are easy to face, but you got to face up to it or you're going to waste a hell of a lot of time and money yep. if you don't find that out. And I guess in the, in the digital economy, we have more methods at our disposal at little to no cost or immediate avenues to pressure test ideas than ever before in the history of humankind. Like I could sit here today with you, Jeff, straight after this call, bang together a quick landing page on Squarespace, spend 50 bucks getting it in front of 10,000 people with a Facebook ad and pressure test the idea. Whereas that might've taken weeks of, of work uh, 30, 40 years ago. I can do that today right now. So I guess there's less and less excuses for us not to pressure test our ideas as soon as we possibly can. I, I think you're right. And it's also having the understanding that uh, it's no longer, the, although on one hand, the barrier to entry is low, the barrier to success is probably more competitive than ever. Mm. You know, because everybody has access to these tools. Yes. So, you know, think about podcasts. You know, when I, I kept being told you should start a podcast, you could post the interviews from your class. There's a billion podcasts out there. How do you get noticed? Mm. You know, what do you do when you can test it in different ways? Marketing is critical. And then you get into the sales funnels and the free crap that you got to give people and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's not so easy, you know, to gain traction. It was, I think yeah. the, the average podcast podcaster gives up after eight podcasts. I think that's the number. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's clearly there's people listening to podcasts, but how do you separate yourself from the noise in the channel and get noticed? Well, this, this is an interesting one, Jeff, on the podcasting front. So <clears throat> if you can just last to 21 episodes, just 21, you're in the top 1% pod of podcasts in the world, purely by having 21 episodes. Really? The amount of podcasts that go from start to the 20th episode, they ever get to there is less than 2%. So really? Although there's millions and millions of podcasts and there always will be, there's only like 20,000 that ever stay live. So if you can just commit mm. to the process and hang in there, you kind of win by default. <laughs> well, so I'm in the top 1% of podcasts in the world, Jeff. Congratulations. I know, uh, I'm know. in the participation club. So get on board. <laughs> but, you know, that's also a really interesting life lesson, isn't it? Because again, it's what I was saying before, it takes the work. It does. You know, if you're not getting that result early and you think by your seventh or eighth podcast, I don't know, nobody seems to be listening. Mm -hmm. uh, and my friends who are successful at podcasting, I guess at a certain point, there can be that geometric expansion that takes you into that upper percentage if you don't give up. Yep. But that's true in so many businesses is that people give up as opposed to discovering, well, what is it I'm doing wrong or how can I, maybe I'm trying to cater to the wrong market. How do I yeah. get it in front of the right eyeballs? Because I can be advertising on Facebook, but if I'm advertising to the wrong demographic, that's not going to help me. You Absolutely. know, so again, it always goes back to, it always goes back to, you got to put in the work. And, and the other thing I would say about that, and I think this is important for entrepreneurs to understand, is everything you do, like, so I started my first adult career uh, was when I did adult films. And no, I'm just uh, <laughs> like, where's yeah. this going? This is amazing. I've got a scoop. <laughs> uh, you know, my first adult career was as a designer. Then I went into film. And then teaching, then writing a book, doing the play. But they're all the same. And they're all the same in this way, is I believe that every profession, and I've had astronauts and astronomers, I've had Pulitzer Prize winning journalists, 
and Olympic athletes and comedians and all these different kinds of people. And what's interesting is that I believe that if you really look at the protocols of the business that you're involved with, they're all the same. There's different jargon, but they're all the same. So to give you a real world example, when I designed clothes, I had an idea in my head. I sketched out that idea. We figured out, you know, what was the cost of the material? What was the cost of the labor? Uh, how would it long would it take to make it? When could we deliver it by? Because we had to set up a delivery date with the client. And then how do you get paid? So the process starts again. Well, in making a film or doing a commercial, uh, starts off with an idea. You sketch it out, you storyboard it, you cost out the materials, the labor, same thing. You figure out your deadline, you charge enough that you can make a profit on it so you can keep doing it. And the cycle starts over again. And that's true with everything. Hmm. You know, so if you're not, you know, people can get very intimidated by a business process because they don't realize, God, you know, this is kind of the same as what I've been doing. It's just a different application. Mm. And it may be a different jargon, but the process and protocol is the same. And I think that's yeah. really important because if you're paying attention, everything you do informs everything else you do. Mm. That's, that's really cool. I think that's really valuable advice or even a valuable thought. And I guess that's where, where models like the lean startup model came from, which kind of help entrepreneurs to realize that sooner rather than later, Every business goes through the same process, which is at some point you need to get validation. And the sooner you try and get that validation, the better, because you then decide on the next step. Even if the validation doesn't end up the way that you'd planned it to, and it doesn't validate the idea, at least then you know, and you can change in a change direction to something that you can then test again. Whereas I guess the, the risk in not doing that and just spending so much time with something and trying to build something before again back to the validation point is that without that sort of knowledge that what you, you're onto something sure that someone will either pay money for or even just want to engage with you more give you an email address about there is a real risk of just creating something that nobody really has any need for <laughs> which right. i think a lot of people run into the into the trap of um on the podcasting front as well, I think what, when we were discussing that, Jeff, it occurs to me that your earlier point about understanding what success looks like to you or knowing what is your idea of success is, I think that's one of the reasons why I've persisted with my podcast, knowing that it's hugely outgunned in terms of production values and in the hugely established market, you know, people will say, Oh, how are you trying to become Joe Rogan or something like that? For me, the reason I'm doing this podcast is as a creative outlet. So I had no intention of ever trying to get a sponsor for this show. Even this is purely for me as my way to engage with people who I find really, really interesting and providing that as a vehicle, uh, for other people to get inspired. So I think having my success bar not set in a financial, uh, it's not a quantitative financial goal for this podcast. It's more about a, uh, a qualitative success measure that has really helped me on my kind of podcasting journey. So I think that that's something really important to kind of, to keep at the back of your mind. I think people kind of, it's so easy to just start doing things and not really think about where you want to get to. You know, do I need to be the Elon Musk level of successful? Probably not. I mean, I don't think I'd even, God, I wouldn't want to work all the time, Jeff. Like that would just kill me. So I think these are, these are really good things to think about early in the entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we all have different questions, but the important question, aside from the, what does success look like for you is why do you want to do X? Mm. You know, why do you want to do it? I mean, the play that I'm working on, uh, if I said, well, you know, I want to do this because a, a Broadway play can make a fortune. Well, it can if you're in that, you know, 2%, <laughs> you know, but statistically the odds are way against you. So you better have a better reason than that because yeah. you won't be able to sustain the engagement and the drive 
uh, if that's why you're doing it. But if your why is that you want to, you're passionate about the story you're trying to tell and you want to explore those characters in that story, that will keep you sustained during the difficult times, which you will have, as I'm sure you've even had with your podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, were there times that you were thinking, I don't know if I want to keep doing this, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, it is work. Did yeah. you ever hit that? Look, I think... I definitely have had to make make sacrifices to 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 do to continue to do podcasting. So things like doing it on a weekend hungover, you know, producing episodes hungover on a weekend or when I was working full time in the advertising agency game, clocking off a shift at 7 p.m., then realizing that I would be producing till 9 or 10 p.m. Like that, that that was how badly. And I guess going back to your original point, Jeff, when we first started this conversation, that was how clear, clearly I knew what I or had decided what I didn't want to have happen, which was to stay working in the same career I was in and doing things the same way I had been doing them. The fear of that was so strong that I was more than happy to put in weekend hours, more than happy to work after a 12 or 14 hour shift dealing with crazy intense clients. That didn't even phase me because I think at the end of the day, I was just so happy to feel like I was moving down a path, which was taking me towards a passion and away from just a grinding job. <laughs> so I think that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think that, you know, like I was saying before, the risk you perceived is having to stay where you were, which you didn't like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, the taking the risk of trying to create a successful podcast, at least it's fun. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it. I know I'm going to enjoy it. So what is the risk, really? I mean, as long as I don't expect to become a millionaire overnight from it, there is no real risk. So, yeah. Right. You're, in your journey, Jeff, I've, I see that you've really, you've had to be an effective leader in several of these roles. You've had staff underneath you. Uh, maybe underneath isn't the right term, but you've managed staff in several of these roles. <laughs> not, not these days. That's not <laughs> yeah, I don't think really, you but... could say that anymore. <laughs> you probably couldn't say it then. But yeah, that, that's been, I think, a kind of a constant trend in several of these roles for you, especially, you know, be working in a, uh, having the Madoff production company and, and managing teams to effectively execute on advertisements for, you know, Ralph Lauren and Victoria's Secret and all these amazing historic companies. So what have you learned about becoming an effective leader? Is that something that you feel happened naturally? Or is there any sort of insights that you've found along the way that have made you better at at working and managing people? Well, I've certainly learned from some of the people I worked for. I learned from my parents because they had very little turnover. You know, there used to be a running joke, you know, how do you get hired by Ralph and Lily Madoff, my parents? somebody has to die first because (laughs) nobody leaves, you know, and, uh, and they felt a responsibility to their employees and made it a place you wanted to be. Uh, Then, you know, I worked different jobs where I learned things from, you know, both positive examples and negative examples. And I can say without fail, the negative examples, I quit those places pretty quickly. Mm. The positive examples have stayed with me and became lessons that I've learned and embodied in terms of what I do. And I think one of the most important things uh, to learn in terms of being a good leader and creatively, and this also extends to all sorts of businesses, is in terms of collaboration, is listen. Mm. Listen to the people that you work with, listen to your clients. And understand that they have their concerns, because if only your own concerns are front of mind, you're not going to be looking out for the interests of your clients. You're not going to be looking out for the interest of your employees. And people feel that. And when they feel that, when another opportunity comes, they leave. Hmm. And, you know, in the production world, there's very heavy turnover, very rapid turnover. And I had very little. And it's because I tried to make it the kind of place that I would want to work. And so what do we all want? We want validation for our ideas. We want to feel heard and that our our voice means something. Doesn't mean you always have to agree, 
And, you know, this is happening all the time with the play that I'm doing. And I'm working with phenomenally talented, award-winning talented people. And it's about acknowledging their contribution and listening and asking questions. And, uh, you know, I, I think that so many times people think being a leader is being in charge. And being in charge is a heavy weight to carry and one that if you look at it that way, uh, cripples a creative process. This is not about being in charge. It's about getting the best out of people. And you get the best out of people when they are emotionally invested in what it is they're doing and they feel that they matter and they feel that their voice is heard. Excellent. Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Is there anything else you wanted to discuss or promote or where are people best to find out more about uh, what you're up to? I, I see you've got a pretty interesting uh, Instagram with quite a bit of photography on it too, which I'm really enjoying. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, what I, what I did there was uh, made the decision, I guess a couple of years ago, I don't remember how long I've been doing it. I just wanted to keep my visual chops going. So, and I walk the city all the time. Uh, and so I would find shots and, you know, and I loved finding shots because I looked at things and was uh, aware and present in ways that I normally wasn't when I was just walking around. So I'm always looking at a frame or a potential frame and all of that. So that's the Jeff underscore Madoff Instagram, which I do solely for pleasure. <laughs> uh, and, you know, showing shots of life in New York and love doing that. And then there's the creative careers Instagram where I put quotes of my guests, which are quite insightful and interesting uh, from my class. And uh, that's at a creative career on Instagram. And then there's the Madoff Productions website. And that's, you know, for my production company and a creative career website, which I'm going to be redoing. And uh, people can also find me on LinkedIn under my name, B. Jeffrey Madoff. And I uh, post quotes from my class and from my guests there. And soon I'll be having the podcast, which will be called Creative Careers too. But it's it's all ties in in this compelling need to express hmm. and to have fun doing it. So with with my the site that you're saying, and thanks for mentioning it about my photography, it's just because it's fun, and I figure I might as well post it. I mean, it's not like I'm looking to build followers. Love to, but it's, that's not the goal. The goal is just every day, find something to post, mm -hmm. take a shot, find something cool. And so that's just a fun, creative challenge for me to keep myself engaged with my surroundings and not walk around oblivious. <laughs> so, so I love that. Love doing that. Yeah, that's great. I'm all about little side passion projects, uh, Jeff. I totally understand it. And I think it's a great way to prime your mind for other things that you're doing as well, just to get in that, that headspace. So well, very cool. The, that does bring one other thing up as people ask me, is there a way to foster creativity? And the answer is yes. Constantly be feeding your mind. Yeah. Read books, go to plays, go to conferences, talk to strangers, uh, talk to people that you don't agree with. Uh, you know, there are all of these things that are happening all the time, whether it's in an art gallery or whether it's guerrilla theater on the street. I took, as you've seen, pictures of musicians in New York who are playing in the park and playing for free. And just all of these things, it's, there's a banquet out there every day. So pay attention, be curious, keep learning. And that is the through line of everything to me. And that's what makes it all so fulfilling is when you feel like, uh, or when I feel, like I'm fully engaged and that I'm in a learning state. And that's really fun for me. Beautifully said, Jeff. Thank you again so much for being on the show. And I wish you all the very best in the future. 
Thanks a lot, Mike. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Doing Epic Stuff podcast. You can find all the latest happenings on the website, doingepicstuff.com or our Instagram, Instagram forward slash doingepicstuff. We out.